This episode is a mic swap. It's a concept I came up with back in 2017 at the very start of Shareable. I thought, what if I shared the mic and let my guests become the host and I became the guest of my own show? This simple swap has allowed my guest hosts to take the conversation in unique and unexpected directions, producing some amazing one-of-a-kind conversations that I never could have planned. The concept is so good, in fact, that plenty of my podcaster friends have taken the idea for themselves. So, I hope you enjoy this episode of Mike Swap. Hello. Oh, so Sarah, I'm your host today. And today we have the amazing guest, Jeff. Um, but before we begin, I'm going to start with a poem that I love that will kind of guide this conversation. So this poem is by Shel Silverstein, and it's called Blue Masks. And it's, she had blue skin, and so did he. He kept it hid, and so did she. They searched for blue their whole life through then walked right by and never knew. So today, instead of introducing Jeff as all the amazing things he's done, I want him, I want to invite him to take his mask off a bit and share a part of himself that others may not see on the day-to-day, like that blue that he has hidden underneath um, that he's searching for in other people and also himself. So Jeff, um, Thank you for being here today. Thank you for having me. So to start off, um, yeah, who are you when you take <sighs> off your mask? What is your blue? So one, we'd have to do, we'd have to have the conversation of which mask for which mm-hmm. audience for which thing. The second thing I'll say is that I am generally a fairly transparent person. Um, I've made decisions throughout my life to be pretty uh, mask off about stuff in general. Um, so a couple things that I've probably said at some point before, maybe not all together, but I'll give you a whole bunch of mask off moments. Um, I have ADHD. I'm on the autism spectrum. I am psychologically unemployable. Uh, I've been an entrepreneur my entire life, even though I didn't always know it. Um, and that's partly because of something that Uh, I believe that I have, at least to some extent, pathological demand avoidance. I cannot be told what to do. I refuse. Uh, I also want to do my own thing. I want to carve my own path. I want my life to be what I want it to be, free from anybody else's control. I'm an Enneagram 8, which means that I am uh, triggered by injustice, and I have a deep, deep desire to stand up for people who can't stand up for themselves. Um, Gosh, what else? Uh, I'm an only child. I am married. I got two kids. Uh, gosh, I don't even know where else to go with it. Um, I this is me. I I mm. mostly mostly mask off. And they've got a few things that I don't share broadly and widely. I you know I probably keep them within a very exclusive few. But for the most part, I think I'm I'm pretty open as a human. No, I love that. And were you always open as a human, or is that something that's new to you? So I think. So it's interesting because this is something that I've pieced together recently. I didn't always know that I was on the autism spectrum. Um, Come to find this out in more recent years. But something that I think is an interesting thing when I kind of 
search back through the years is that at some point in my life, I discovered that honesty was very important. And I remember that story very vividly. I lied to my parents. I lied specifically to my father, who I hold in the highest of esteem. I love my dad. And I remember when he found out that I had lied to him, he said, you're going to have to earn back my trust. And I'm, I'm disappointed in this because I've always felt like I could trust you and you're going to have to earn back my trust. And disappointing him and feeling as though I lost something that I had, which was his trust, and to have to fight to get that back, I swore that I would just not lie. And I took that very literally, which is, I think, part of the, the point of bringing up the autism is that, like, I've been so committed to truth and being honest about myself that I've just basically blurted out sometimes whatever I thought, whatever I felt, whatever I believed to be true. And it has made me very incapable of playing office politics or being um, saying what is expected of me rather than what I believe to be true. So I, I do think that just kind of globally, I've been very much that way. But as a, as an individual, I think I also have been very self-accepting in many ways. There are a lot of things that I had to struggle with and really come to terms with a lot of ADHD stuff and the masking that was with that. It took me a lot of years to get okay with coming right out and saying like, here's what I'm not ever going to be good at. Sorry. And here's also what I'm really good at. Right. So but I remember at like 14, I was shorter than I wanted to be. I had redder hair than I wanted to have. I was a little fatter than I wanted to be. I had freckles. Like I had all these things that were like wrong with me, air quotes. And I think it was at some point when I was 14 that I just looked at myself in the mirror and I was like, you ain't changing this. Like this is what you got. So either love it or fight it for the rest of your life. At like 14, 13, 14, 15, I had this conversation mm -hmm. with myself in a mirror. Mm -hmm. I remember having it. I just decided I was just going to be done with it. Like, that's it. I'm not, I'm not going to spend my entire life just hating what I have. I'm going to just accept that this is what I am, who I am, and I'm just going to run with that. And I think I'm lucky enough to be in a privileged position where I could have that experience, where I didn't have enough barriers erected for me that kept telling me that I couldn't do that or that I shouldn't do that. Um, I, had, I had a loving household and, you know, I'm a white cisgender male. You know, like, I have no barriers in that sense of, like, the mm -hmm. identity piece right there. So, um, you know, I, I had that experience and I think moving forward, I just decided I would be as open as, as I could be, um, maybe to inspire others and also just to not care what other people think as mm -hmm. much as possible. Yeah. And like, you know, that whole not caring what other thing others think as much as possible. I feel like sometimes we go through waves of that yes. where we're really good at like not caring what other people think. And then, you get a little used to that and then you're back in it again. <laughs> yeah. I also think it's a little bit of a, um, what's the way of saying this? But like, I feel like it's a false ideal to be universally uncaring about what other people think. I, for a while, I wore it as a badge of honor. that I didn't give a, I didn't give a shit what anybody thought. I didn't care. Mm. I'm me. Like, accept me as I am. And then you realize at some point in your life as you get older and you mature that you are in a world with other people. And what they think of you sometimes is a result of how you make them feel about themselves, how they feel in your company. So it's not necessarily a judgment of you, like stripped of any other real world, real, real world implications, but they have a judgment about you or what they think about you is a result of how you interacted with them and made them feel. So those are the moments where I realize it actually does matter at times to care what other people think about you. It's not this badge of honor to be completely free from 
the influence of, of what other people think about you. That's useful data at times because if you've harmed someone and they think you're an asshole because of it, you should be a better person. So I, I do think to your point, like it mm. comes in waves. And I think even your learning of how to be with not caring what other people think comes in waves. Sometimes it's healthy and sometimes maybe it's not. If you care too much, it's unhealthy. If you care too little, it's unhealthy. It's finding mm. that like nice balance in between where you're selective about whose opinion matters, what type of feedback you're willing to take, where there are places where you're open to the feedback for improvement versus where you're not right. Like if the feedback is like, Jeff, you're not tall enough. Like, I don't need your opinion. I don't care what you think about that. If it is, you know, you said something that hurt my feelings and triggered something in me that made me feel like made me revisit a trauma in my life. Like I cared that I did that and I don't want to ever do that again. I'm sorry. So there's levels, right? And I, I think that's the, the, the trick of it is being really clear on what not to give a shit about. Mm. It's also a tough, you know, line to navigate or a tough, you know, balance beam um, between caring too much and not, and not caring at all. Right. Um, and thank you for kind of expressing a bit through examples as well about how you do that and what ways it can be helpful and other also what ways that it can be quite hurtful to also avoid feedback if it's at the harm of other people's expenses. Um, I'm curious as well, like, how has that journey been for you? Or how have those waves been for you? What have you learned about yourself and others during the process? If you'd like I'm, to share? Yeah, I'm a um, voraciously curious person in general. But I have to say that I think that I have a slightly abnormally high level of interest in self in the sense of like, I'm very um, I'm very willing to do introspection. I take every personality quiz. I take every sort of assessment that I can because I am in constant search of better understanding myself so that I can analyze and determine what areas of myself are sort of unchangeable patterns versus what are things that don't line up with the person that I aspire to be. And I think that all of that information you learn about yourself is just good data. So, you know, when I, when I took, you know, DISC and Myers-Briggs and Enneagram and like get scientific uh, validation of those things aside, they're all just helpful directional things, right? Like, does this resonate with me? Does this seem like a thing that I am? You get feedback from other people, you incorporate that. You look at tendencies, failures, successes, et cetera, and you begin to kind of triangulate a sense of self. And for me, that experience has been really useful because it helps me to be watchful of my blind spots as much as possible. It gives me the, um, how to say this, but I don't take offense when someone calls me out on something that I'm pretty clear is a blind spot. So for mm. instance, if I, if I went in it to a meeting and I just steamrolled the meeting, talked over everyone and like asserted dominance in like a meeting, I would not be surprised if someone called me out on that because I know that that's a thing that's in me, that there's a, there's a side of me that that comes out. And when I'm at my best, I'm not that person. When I'm at my not best, that side of me may come out. When mm -hmm. I'm in a company where maybe I don't feel, um, I don't feel confident, or maybe I didn't get enough sleep, or maybe I have a lot of stuff going on and I'm stressed out, or I'm, you know, I've got something on that's causing me like grief or distress or anxiety. Like I may show up as not the best version of myself. So when somebody brings that to my attention, 
that's a good pattern interrupt for me to say like, what else is going on with me? Because it's not like an out of the blue thing. It's like, Jeff, all of a sudden your, your skin is purple. Like that would be odd. And I would be like, that's concerning because that's never happened. But like, Mm -hmm. Jeff, you've asserted you're being overly competitive. Got it. Okay. That's a pattern that I try to work on. Mm -hmm. I'm trying not to be that person. Thank you for bringing it to my attention. So I think the self-awareness piece of it is really important. And I think in recent years, and I I brought this up in a conversation we had at another time where I was talking about systemic self-awareness, seeing yourself as not just this individual free from all of the other intersections in the world, but a fundamental part of a system that we all exist in and trying to understand that even my best intentions may be part of a larger set of circumstances that I don't think about. So I guess the short answer, the long-winded thing I just gave that I'll condense to a short is the self-awareness, the search for self-awareness and self-understanding has been the biggest part of the journey. And I think the most useful part of the journey in helping me to get closer to the person that I want to be. Mm, That makes sense. I'm curious to ask you, you know, often when we talk about feedback, um, feedback can be hard, right? Like you mentioned to receive feedback, that's hard. And also you mentioned this thing about, you know, growing into the person you want to be. So I'm curious to ask, you know, has there ever been a moment where you received feedback, you know, maybe that, you know, feedback unexpected or not as positive that's helped mold you into the person you want to be. And this is coming from a place where like, as I, you know, I hear you talking as well. And as I hear myself talking as well, um, it's coming from a place where there was a moment where I remember distinctly, like you mentioned, like those moments you remember in time where I was like 16 years old in high school and like definitely a hard old, like study for the SATs, would study all night, pulled all nighters, doing what? Studying US history, (laughs) like, you know, these kinds of things. And someone beside me, someone had made a joke in class and I laughed. I was laughing because I love funny things. And someone behind me who I don't even know that well made this comment and was like, whoa, I didn't know you laughed. And I look back and I'm like, what do you mean? And he's like, oh, you're so serious all the time when you're working that I didn't know that you you could laugh. And for me, I realized at like 16 that I would separate like that work I wouldn't, you know, I was like, just be serious with work and wouldn't have that levity in my life and that aspect of it. And that fundamentally changed me a bit, that comment from the the guy who played soccer behind me. And I was like, oh my God, how can I approach situations and contexts and teams where I can bring laughter more into the center of it, right? Yeah. Um, So I'm curious in the same way, but it was hard to hear in that moment, right? Especially when you're 15 and 16, already insecure and think that guy's kind of cute. You're like, oh, like, yikes, (laughs) like this hurts. But that changed me fundamentally. So I'm curious in the same way, like, was there a moment that in that moment it was hard, but it's molded you into the person you want to be? God, there's so many of them. And then one of the... um... A, a, a kind of a key feature or a bug of the system that I have pointing to one's brain um, is I tend to go back over all of my transgressions as mm. a constant state of um, I think about them a lot as the as reminders of how I want to grow and be a better person. So every 
I have a whole list of them in my head of things that I've done where if we take feedback in a, in a broad usage of the term, a result of an action being a, a sort of feedback, not necessarily somebody said something to me, but sometimes that somebody just stopped associating with me or um, my relationship to someone changed. Or hmm. there's all of these different moments that I can think of in my past that I'm embarrassed by, that I'm ashamed of, that I think, wow, like what kind of a person were you? And it's tough not to beat yourself up about it, but you have to realize like that's who you were in that moment and you learn and you grow from it. But I'll, I'll give one example that is, it's such a um, crystallized example of my past. And it's a very big departure from who I was to who I am now. And I mentioned the competitiveness so I am by nature a very competitive person and I have worked very hard over my lifetime to keep that in check and make it a healthy competitiveness. It's very rare that I let out the negative competitiveness, like the, the toxic competitiveness, but it's in there and it's a battle for me to, to fight against it because I want to, for whatever reason, we could do the five wise exercise about it. Like, why do I need to be the best at something? But like, there's a, there's a part of me that wants to be the best at a thing, right? So I remember in high school, I had this friend. He was my best friend. When I moved to this new town, he was one of the first people I interacted with, and we became quick friends. And we played video games together. And we played a lot of hockey outside together. And we hung out constantly and watched comedy. And he was my best friend. The best. Like, we were inseparable best friends. <laughs> So we, back in 1995, a video game came out called NHL 95, loved hockey video games. And I used to go over to this friend's house all the time and play this video game. We played it constantly and he was really good at it and he would beat me more times than he wouldn't. And I didn't have a Sega Genesis or NHL 95 and he kept beating me and he kept beating me and I would win now and again, but mostly he would beat me and it drove me insane. I would get so mad that he kept beating me. So I saved up money and I bought a Sega Genesis and I bought NHL 95 and I played hundreds, if not thousands of hours of this game until I mastered every single goal scoring trick in the game. I know this game. I still know it. I have a handheld that still has the game on it. I love the game. I got so good at it. Now NHL 96 comes out and I go over to this friend's house and I'm like, let's play. And he's like, I got 96. I was like, no, 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 no. We're playing 95. We played and I smoked him and I like rubbed it in and I gloated. I was the worst. And our relationship changed after that. I let out the most toxic version of my competitiveness. I was so annoying. I was so over the top. And it was after that that we hung out less. He started hanging out with our friends because we hung out last, I started hanging out with other friends and we kind of lost touch. And we've recently gotten back in touch and like, you know, we're friendly, like, but like, it's not like we became BFFs again, but it was a moment where I realized that I let my competitiveness and, and it's funny shortly thereafter, I lost another friend being competitive over who got to wear a particular cologne. Cause I had found this one cologne that I really liked and I was like, nobody else could wear it. And we got into a thing over it. And like, that was that. And like, I stopped hanging out with that person. So I got so competitive that I was like ruining friendships with it. And it took me a couple of years to look back on it and realize that it was like, it was just a toxic competitiveness. And I've since over the, you know, course since then 
have really worked on how to have a healthy competition, how to look for opportunities to be competitive with people where everybody mm. wins rather than, you know, just decimating someone. I used to play a lot of basketball and like, it wasn't about winning. It was about crushing. It was about humiliating. So mm. it was this, that's, and that's still inside of me. And I recognize that it's there. So it's, that's a piece of feedback that I got. And I realized you got to work on this. Cause if you keep letting this happen, like you're going to have no friends, you're not going to get to play and enjoy any games. Like you're just kind of the worst right now. Mm, no, thank you for sharing that Jeff. And for being, for showing up completely in that question and just letting me understand like all the holistic complexity that is this person named Jeff in front of me right now. Yeah. Can I give you a quick addendum to that story? Because I think yes, this is interesting. Yes, please, because I was going to ask about that. <laughs> Four or five years ago, my agency was purchased by another agency. So I had been running my agency for seven years. Mm -hmm. It got purchased by a larger agency. The larger agency was a friend of mine, and he was very competitive. And when we got together and talked about joining forces, he was like, oh, yeah, we're going to, when we join forces, we're going to, like, take over Philly, and, like, we're going to steal all the clients from all the other agencies. And it was like this, like very like posturing, like we're the best and we're going to crush everyone and this and that. And it returned. And I, I, I got swept up in it and I started posting stuff like other agencies, watch your clients and this and that. I was posting stuff on Instagram and I was just swaggering and posturing and like just, and all of these people that I had spent the last seven years, 10 years building relationships with were like, yo, what are you doing? Like, who are you right now? And it really was like a wake up call. I was like, what, what am I doing? What am I doing right now? Like I've built my entire business thus far on cooperation, on partnerships, on working together, on lifting all boats. And now all of a sudden my job, my, my dream is to crush people. Like what, where did that come from? And it just got brought out of me. It was like, it, I was intoxicated by it. I was like, oh, I remember this. I remember what this feels like to want to just dominate and crush and win. <clears throat> and I realized, uh, like, I, I have to be watchful of that. It's, it, it was almost like an, an addict feeding an addiction, right? Like, I, like I got mm -hmm. the hit of it. I was like, ooh, ooh, that feels so good. I'm going to crush. And it happened again. So it was like, it's, it's not gone. It's there latent. And I have to be watchful and vigilant and, and make sure that I'm not letting that side of me out because I don't like that person. Yeah, no. And it's, it's like, we all have those sides of us, right? Whether we show them or we don't, whether we repress them or they drive us that are, don't always serve us or others in their best interest. Um, and so I'm curious to ask about the other sides of you as well, in terms of what parts of you are you most proud of? that you don't have an opportunity to express on the day-to-day. -day. And these are asking this question from a place of not just the parts of you that others compliment or put on a pedestal or acknowledge or appreciate you for. I'm asking you what parts do you, are you proud of for you? Because you're the person who's known you the longest. Oof. Like to really answer this is like, such a tough thing because I'm very open about what I think I'm good at. Right. So like I, I could tell you I'm a good strategist. I could tell you like, you know, because of my ability to see patterns, like I can problem solve really well. Like there's things like that. I could tell you that I think that I'm a pretty good husband and pretty good dad, but like all of these things, 
it's tough for me, like, how to say this? Everything that I see about myself, I see in the shade of gray, in the sense that, like, I'm not, I'm not good at this objectively. Like, I'm good at aspects of this, but there's people better and there's, and there's times where I failed at it. And where, it, so like, even when I say all of these things, like I'm keenly aware of the saying it sounds as though it's a universal, I'm a good dad, right? There've been times where I probably was a terrible dad at, at in like a particular day. It's too tired. I, this, I, that. So it's a really challenging question to ask because I, as I mentioned earlier, I see the failures, the, the the transgressions, the places where I didn't show up. I see them so clearly and so vividly. And I have a tendency, I think, to discount the places where I did show up or where I was successful. Because I think in those moments, I see that as what's expected. What I expect of myself or maybe what people expect of me. It's like that's par for the course. Whereas when I don't match up, when I don't live up to that. I think I have a tendency to see that as like an abject failure because I was supposed to mm. this or that. So like it's very rare for me to exceed any sort like there's no like there's no exceeding. There's only meeting the expectation for mm. me. And that's something that I work on, something I struggle with for sure. Um so in terms of like what am like what am I really proud of? Or I think, you, you know, I think I got it. I think through talking it out um, and, and um, I, it harkens back to um, a question somebody asked me. They said, what, what do you think is your superpower? And I can't remember what the hell I said at the time. But this friend of mine, uh, he said, I think your power is resilience. I think your ability to keep getting back up and reinventing yourself and taking your knocks and shifting directions as you have to. I think that's your real superpower. And I thought a lot about it since I had that conversation with him. And I do think something that I'm proud of is that I don't have a quit setting. I have a stop setting. I have a get knocked down, be out of the game for a bit setting. But I don't have a quit setting really and and i don't mean like i won't stop doing something that's obviously a fruitless endeavor like i have a like a, a strategic quit but i don't have a like you're gonna knock me out of the game quit so like so many things have happened over the last several years that could have easily been enough for me to just stop pressing forward i have a i am a consistent press forward do more don't stop play till the clock runs out type personality and i i am proud of the fact that thus far i haven't ever quit i haven't ever stopped moving forward um and it it's always been better after i get back up and not immediately but it's always gotten better and i think that's something i'm proud of is that i've been able to do that thus far um so if i'm going to say i'm proud of something that that's that's probably it for now um, and I, I'm going to keep, I'm going to promise you to just keep thinking about that question. Uh, it's something my therapist challenges me on. Uh, but it's, it's something that I will continue to think about because I think it's a good question and it is something that I probably don't do enough of is explore mm. that one. No, thank you for sharing that, Jeff. And also, um, 
that's a huge thing to be proud of yourself for. I'm curious if you can share with us um just an example or a story that when you when you when you when this came to you, this realization that you know you don't have that quit setting, you know, you get back up. Is there a moment or a memory that comes to mind about when you you kept going, you know, yeah. you got back up? I got tons of them. Uh, mom got into a car accident on the last day of high school. It was totally uh, a, a game-changing moment for me in my life. And uh, she nearly died. She was in the operating room for like nine hours, got like eight pints of blood, or maybe it's eight hours and nine pints of blood. I don't remember, but like either way, she almost died. Changed her whole life, changed my whole life. And went to school, went to college, kept going. It was on my last day of high school. Went to college, kept pushing through, kept pushing forward. Uh, that was the moment where I got back up. Um, I met my uh, ex-wife in like 2000 something, 2001, 2002. We got married uh, after being together for like eight years. We were together for three. We got divorced. Thought I would never, ever date or love again. Met the woman of my dreams a couple, you know, a year and a half later. Uh, got married, have two kids, love her more than anything in the world. And I love my kids with the force of a thousand exploding sons. Um, devoted 10 years of my life to working in social media um, and had an agency, fell out of love with social media when I realized it was a toxic cesspool of horror and, you know, sold my agency, basically got, you know, long story short, was no longer working there, gory details and such, uh, and didn't know what I wanted to do because I had devoted 10 years of my life to this discipline. And I no longer wanted anything to do with it. So I had to pivot and figure out like, what are all of my skills? What are all the things I do know about? How do they come together? And I reinvented myself and I've never been more successful in my entire career both in terms of my scheduling, my freedom, the work I get to do, the meaning, the impact, the financial aspect of it, like none of it has ever been better. Um, so I, I, I could look at it and, you know, probably point to all sorts of different things where it seemed like everything was falling apart and probably took my week off and I wallowed in it and I thought about it and I really, as, as a, a brilliant person once said, wash over me. And, um, leaned into that color and got to a point where I was just over it. I like over being in that state. And I decided I wanted to get back up in all of the circumstances that I could point to resiliency. I allowed myself to just be knocked down and I mm -hmm. sat there and I collected myself. And when I felt ready, when I got tired of sitting down and I got tired of being out, I would get back up dust myself off, look in the direction of where I was going in the first place or where I wanted to go next, and I would just start walking again. And that's the process. No, thank you for sharing that. And wow, that is a superpower, like your friend mentioned about, you know, this resilience that you have. And so I would love to like ask, not a question, but love to invite you to do something, right? I think that so many, so much of the time, Many of us, most of us, all of us at one point or another come to a crossroads where it's hard, things suck, it's really hard to keep going, and we get knocked down, and some of us let the feelings wash all over us, and we lean into that color, others run away from it, but either way, we're down, right? And it's hard to keep going, and we're not sure if we can see the end, and we're not sure what's going to happen, and you mentioned you keep going even if you don't know where you're going. It's that, right? Like so many times we're in that situation and that may be different for everyone. 
So I would love to invite you, having been in that situation so many times before, and the resilience that you have to keep on going and to get yourself back up. If you were talking to a younger version of yourself in that moment, right? When you were on the ground, letting things wash over you, unsure what's going to go, have the stop button on, what would you tell yourself or someone else in a similar similar situation? If it was someone else, it might be different than what I would tell myself. So I'll, huh. I'll, answer, I'll answer both. I think I would say to myself, it's fine to just experience this, stay in it. You're going to be fine. So don't worry about this. You'll get up. You'll keep going. More importantly, though, when you get up, focus on being as kind to you as you can to everyone around you. Because I think throughout my life, the only thing that if, if I really look back on in my life as a regret is I wouldn't worry about whether or not I would get, I know that I'm going to get back up. So like that, that I take that almost as a given. So in that moment, I wouldn't even address that. I would instead address if like I go back in time, it'd be like buy Bitcoin, right? Like it would be one of those things where I would address something else. I would, um, I would tell myself to focus on kindness and to be curious about other people's stories and to try to understand other people's perspectives earlier in life. Um, because I think where I got in trouble and I look back on things is when I was too trapped in my own story and not curious enough about other people's stories to see when the way that I was being may not have helped them feel seen or validated or may have exacerbated something that they were going through. So I think that's what I would spend my words on if I could see myself in those situations. I would say, don't worry, like you're going to be fine. This is going to be a pattern. So learn how to deal with this just like you're going to. You're going to get back up. You'll take your licks. You'll get back up. You'll keep moving forward. You'll figure out what it is. Keep searching for the purpose. But the bigger thing is, as early as you can, be curious about other people's stories. Mm. Be really kind. Mm, That's kind. what I would probably tell myself. If I was talking to other people, I would probably say something different. And I would probably focus on one thing. For anybody that's looking to understand resilience, from the, and this is not like an academic exercise, and I am not the, I am not the like default source on resilience. It's just my opinion. What I found is helpful for me. Is I, I would say figure out what your purpose is. Like, what's your life? What's this? Is the question I ask all my podcast guests. What's the dent you want to make in the universe? When you get really clear on what you want your life to mean, it's a lot easier to get back up. Because you still got game to play. So when you still got time left on the clock, like you'll, you'll say like, fine, it's a timeout right now. Or like, I'm, I'm sitting on the bench at the moment, but I'm going to get back in that game because there's still a game to play. And I have this objective. It's to play this game and to win this game. So the reason why I found I'm able to get back in it is that I'm committed to impact. I'm committed to my life meaning something. I'm committed to doing work that helps make the world a better place. And as I say lately, kinder, safer, and more equitable. Those are my goals. That's what I'm after. So I can't sit there too long because I'm wasting clock. I'm wasting game. And that's what gets me back up and in the game is that like I have things to do. So get up. So I just have a point where I can't sit there anymore. I got to get back in the game. I'm itching. I want the ball. Thank you for sharing, Jeff. And so... 
Um, as we wrap up our time, I would love to bring it back to this ball you mentioned, right? Like this game that you're in, you're on this bench, you want to get back into the game. Um, and kind of similar, right? So like if you're playing catch or basketball, or you're throwing the ball to someone. If you were to, hmm, just imagining, if you were to take this ball and throw it to someone, right? Someone who's listening to it right now. And tell them something as you throw the ball. Something that can only last the duration of the time that the ball takes to get from your hand to their hand. Something that will stick with them and something that will keep them wanting to play the game, whatever their game is. What would you tell them? Shoot the ball and when you get the ball again, shoot it again. Thank you. Man, Thank you. You know so what I mean? Like, like keep playing. Like <laughs> the best shooters miss a lot of shots. Best, you know, uh, hitters in baseball, they strike out a lot. Like, you're going to, no one's going to, you're not going to play perfect. Like, make your contribution. Even if it sucks, some of them are going to suck. So just go make your, go do your thing. Because what's the alternative to live a, a forgettable life? A, a life that you can't look back on and say that I played hard, that I, I, I didn't have anything I was even playing for. I was just here. Like, and, and I say that, and I know that that could sound like, so highfalutin and like soapboxy and like, but that's just like how I am, right? I can't imagine just going through the motions. There's life can be lonely. Life can be tragic. It can be traumatic. It can be joyful. It can be exhilarating. It can be terrifying. It can be all of these things. I just feel like it would be boring if you didn't have something you were after. And I, I'm willing for it to be thrilling and terrifying and anxious and all those things if at the end of it i could say it was worth it right like what i don't want the the thing that terrifies me most is to be on my deathbed and think i led a mediocre life that's my greatest fear and i could probably do a lot of work with my therapist on why but like that's the thing that if i thought it was forgettable and it was no one would remember it and that I didn't feel like I gave it my full effort, even if it was forgettable, but if I felt like I didn't give it my full effort, that would be the thing that would make me feel like it wasn't having worth played. I want to make sure that like, it feels like the game was worth being played. Mm. The game was worth being played. Are there any final thoughts you have or takeaways? I think you summed it up there. The game is worth being played. Hmm. The game is worth being played. And the game's also pretty shareable. Nailed it. So tell me, what was most valuable or useful for you in this episode? Send me a message or hit me up on social media. I'm easy to find, but there's links in the show notes just to make it easy. Seriously, I'd love to hear from you. If you enjoyed this episode, there's a couple things you could do, starting with subscribing to the show. And after that, head on over to Apple Podcasts and rate the show five stars and leave a review. Consider sharing this episode with someone you think would enjoy it. Or just buy me a latte or an old-fashioned by hitting up that tip jar. If you're looking for a good book to read, may I suggest The Lovable Leader, which covers how to build great teams with trust, respect, and kindness. It's built exclusively for brand new managers, and it's a handbook that will serve you well in your journey of leadership. Just search for Lovable Leader wherever books are sold online. And finally, if you're interested in working with me or checking out any of my other projects, go to jgibbard.com. 
That link, as well as every other link mentioned, will be found in the show notes. Stay safe, be kind, and seriously, share this episode with someone. I'll see you on the next episode of Shareable. Thanks for listening. This podcast is part of the Shareable Podcast Network. Learn more at shareable.fm.